Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast, our first of the offseason, right after the NBA draft early entry deadline. We now know who's coming back, who's not. Still a couple guys left in the transfer portal, but we have a pretty clear idea about what all the college basketball team is going to look like next season. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by Connor Hope. Tristan Freeman is with us as well, and Michael Hunter is here, new addition to the group. How's it going, guys? Good, good. Very well, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Of course. And a couple days after the draft deadline here, we'll just get started with that. A um, couple key players came back. Connor, who do you think might make the biggest impact uh, of those guys who decided to put off the NBA for another year? Yeah, for me, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty close race between uh, Jordan Nora for Louisville and Miles Powell for Seton Hall. I think – um, both those players made huge impacts last year, were one of, you know, arguably top 25 players for each of them last year in college basketball. And I think both of them coming back will have a huge impact. I, I think either Louisville or Seton Hall with with these players coming back could make a push into that top 10 uh, at, at different points this season. So um, for me, it's, the, it's those two players. Yeah. I, I think Nora for sure makes Louisville top 10 team. I love miles pal. He, he's my pick for national player of the year. I think he's going on uh, been touting the miles pal takeover tour for next season. I think he could take Seton hall pretty far. Um, definitely second weekend. I think he's the kind of guy we saw last year came through time and time again, whenever Seton hall needed something, it was like clockwork miles Powell is always there. I expect him to take his game to another level this year as well. Tristan, what about you? You know, I think the obvious one would be Cassius Winston of Michigan State. You know, he had pretty much nothing left to prove in college, took an injured Michigan State team to the Final Four, and really his draft stock probably won't get any better by coming back another year, but just by his return alone, the Spartans are one of the consensus top one or two teams in the preseason, and that impact alone puts him up there. I, I personally think he's going to be the preseason national player of the year favorite. Oh, yeah. And you you have a probably an even better roster for him the following year. I think his impact alone makes the Spartans uh, preseason national contending favorite. Although the Big East should be happy about bringing back their two star players in uh, Marcus Howard and Mar- uh, Marquette and as well as Powell Seton Hall. So I think the Big East should be happy, but Michigan State pretty has solidified themselves as the team to beat right now. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, and, go ahead, Connor. And I think that, I mean, Cassius Winston and Marcus Howard, obviously, are our two big impacts uh, players, um, but they never actually left, which is kind of why, you know, I was looking more at, at players who were in the draft process uh, and, and had that foot out the door. Cassius Winston made it clear from the jump that he went back and Marcus Howard followed suit pretty soon afterwards, um, as well as uh, Yudoka Azabuki for uh, Kansas. So, I mean, those those three players obviously are going to have huge impacts uh, as, as players that never even touched the draft process. They were committed to school from day one. So. How about you, Michael? Who do you think is going to make the biggest impact coming back? I agree with you guys uh, for the most part on everybody you've touched on. Um, for me, Wara is is the biggest impact guy coming back because his addition or his him remaining with Louisville makes them 
a national championship contender in my mind. And I reflected that in my top 25 that I released yesterday. Um, I agree that some of the other guys coming back, especially Miles Powell, without him, they aren't in my top 25. With him, they're number 10 in my top 25. So, I mean, that's the impact that he has. Uh, one guy we haven't mentioned that decided to come back, which it was never really in question, is Andrew Nemhard from, from Florida. He's part of that Florida backcourt that I absolutely love. I think they they have one of the best backcourt and wing combination pieces in the entire country. I think Florida is a top 15 team with Nemhard. I think he obviously made the right decision, and his return to, uh, to Gainesville is going to have a big impact on the SEC as well as the national landscape. Well, I'm surprised no one mentioned Devin Dotson coming back for, uh, for Kansas. He, I think, stayed in the draft a bit longer than most people were anticipating. Uh, I kind of thought there was no real question about him coming back when he first declared. Uh, that became a bit more murky as he went into the draft process. But him coming back, I think, solidifies Kansas as uh, a Final Four contender, top five, top ten team next year, uh, even without Quentin Grimes. I was really uh, happy he came back because I think he's someone who could have a, have a, a really big year next year, of course, Miles Powell as well. Um, other teams, though, were, were not as lucky. There were a lot of those decisions that we see every year uh, were just from a pure basketball perspective, you're left kind of scratching your head, wondering uh, if they actually think they're going to get drafted or not. Uh, Tristan, who is somebody like that uh, who, who you don't know why they necessarily declared for the draft and is really going to hurt their former college team now next year? You know, I think this year compared to others, there weren't as many head scratching decisions. Uh, I think you could look at some individual circumstances, like say Jared Harper, Auburn, where even though he's probably not going to get drafted, you, you can understand why he felt the need to make the leap now because there's nothing left for him to prove. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Tennessee really took a big hit with their early losses of Jordan Bone and Grant Williams not because it doesn't make sense for them to leave, but more because they didn't accomplish more with those key players. But I think when you look at the SEC in total, they had a lot of guys leave. A lot of guys stay too. But I think one the one hit that's going to hurt is Duke losing Mark, uh, Marquez Bolden, simply because he was their primary backup option to burn and carry. And mm. while I think carry can have an impact, you still never know which of these five-star guys – can be superstars and who can be bust. Bolden, at the very least, was a 20-minute-a-game 20 option that Duke can use with experience. And him leaving makes sense, but it still really hurts Duke more than I think people will let on. Yeah. Michael, what about you? Um, what, what do you think about a, a player who really made a, a – not necessarily a questionable decision, but is leaving his team – uh, in a in a really bad spot next year. You know, it's difficult for for us to to commentate on some of these guys because we don't know their their family's situation. Right, and we're, we're, we're situation. just talking about here from a pure basketball perspective. Right. I, I think from from where I'm looking at it, Armani Brooks from Houston sticks okay. out to me. Um, I, I, he's not going to get drafted. He could have came back to Houston and been an absolute stud next year, um, just like his teammate did this year, Corey Davis, I believe, um, and. I mean, I don't know 
who got in his ear. I didn't watch the combine, so I don't know how he performed. I don't even know if he was actually invited to the combine. But um, maybe he maybe he's okay with going overseas and making his money over there. Uh, he's certainly a talented player. He could have been a stud, and Houston could have been a very good team next year. But that's a, that one was a real head-scratcher for me. I didn't even know that he was testing the waters until he announced that he wasn't coming back. Yeah, I, I think, too, Houston really needed him, given the improvements a lot of the teams in the American made uh, from Memphis all the way down to South Florida getting everybody back. There's going to be five, six, maybe even seven teams in the American that have legitimate NCAA tournament aspirations. And uh, him with him, I thought Houston could have been uh, in you know that one, two, maybe three range up there with Memphis competing for another conference championship. Now mm-hmm. uh, I don't see that as much. Maybe. Connor, what, what do you think? The player – other than you know d2 players left um the, the player that kind of i'm a little bit more not necessarily weary of but i thought that staying would have been a good choice uh and this might surprise some people is nick ward i really don't think that his junior season was any better than his sophomore season i'm not sure he's going to get drafted and if he came back he would have been a key piece on a team that would have been the presumed favorite to win the national championship and if he came back, I think Michigan State is is by far probably the most talented team in the country. So that one kind of made me think maybe he saw that someone was going to take more of his minute. But I just don't know. I, I just don't know where that decision really came from. I He may be somebody who is simply done with the whole college process, maybe expected yeah. to be in the NBA by now. Um, because Michigan State is now really thin in the front court. Like he would have started, I, I, I think, looking at Michigan State's roster at least, he would have started pretty easily, and not necessarily had a ton of people who were necessarily competing for his spot. Nonetheless, Michigan State, I think we can all agree, is going to be the preseason number one team when the AP poll comes out, or at yeah. least be in the top two, top three. Who are some other teams that you're looking at that could potentially? take that top spot from Michigan State or at least uh, challenge them be in that conversation of being a legitimate national championship contender? Yeah, I mean, you have to start off with Kentucky. Um, they have an excellent cast of returning players, including Ashton Hagen. Uh, they have, I think now, are they still ranked number one um, in terms of recruiting? And no, they're just, I mean, they're talented. And so... Mm-hmm. Whether or not that can be put together um, is left to be seen. But I think that if any team right now is set up to be that uh, top contender in Kentucky, you also have to look at Duke. They have an excellent recruiting class. Uh, Trey Jones is returning, um, which provides them a a solid distributor as well as a a very great on-ball defender on the other end. So uh, Duke's up there. I mean, it's the same two teams that are always going to be yeah. the top contenders heading into the season, right? Michael, I want to talk to you about Louisville. Um, mm-hmm. Can they mentor that, enter that fold? I know there's a lot of excitement there uh, with the class they have coming in, with everybody they have returning, Chris Mack, second year. Can they be a championship-type contender? You know, <laughs> it, it, I think so. I have them ranked number two right now. Of course, it's, it's still June, mm-hmm. but um, – I mean, as far as a starting five goes, they have no holes. I mean, Malik Williams made made big strides last year, I thought. Uh, Jordan Moore is obviously one of the premier players in the country. Uh, the St. Joe's transfer that they received, Lamar Kimball, is a really good player if he can stay healthy. 
Uh, Samuel Williamson on the wing is a five-star guy. Uh, he's going to come in. I don't know if he's going to start right away, but he's very good. He's very long. He can shoot it a little bit. Uh, Josh Nickelberry, another off guard from Georgia, is an underrated player in my opinion. I, I have Louisville too. I have them ahead of Duke simply because I, I think Tristan is right about Marcus Bolden to a, a certain point. I'm not a big Bolden fan. I think Delorier can fill that void a little bit, but you know, you look at Louisville, they got coaching, they have guard play, they have rebounding, they have versatility, they have shooting, they have, you know, depth, talent, youth, star power. I mean, there's really not a lot of holes as far as Louisville goes. And I, I think that, I mean, at the very least, they're an elite eight team. Uh, my only worry is, is, you know, last year, Duke kind of broke Louisville. <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if that's going to carry over to next year, but you know, after that game, they didn't perform very well over the last, whatever it was, five, six weeks of the season. They got drummed out of the NCAA tournament. So I don't know what their mental state is, but, you know, Cunningham's gone. Kwan Four's gone. That was some, you know, Cunningham didn't want to play in that game at all against Duke. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, now Kimball's going to take his place. So I think Louisville's a national championship contender because after you get outside the top six or seven teams, it gets pretty weak pretty fast, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Tristan, I thought you brought up this interesting point when you were talking about the Big East earlier. Villanova, I think, is due for – they had a good year last year, but be back sort of in that fringe national championship conversation. Um, Marquette had a lot of hype before the Hauser Twins transferred out. We talked about Seton Hall. Can any of those teams – or maybe somebody else from the conference – can any of those teams compete for a championship, or are they kind of in that tier below? What do you think? Villanova is going to have to rely solely on a couple of these five-star freshmen. We saw what happened one last year and what that can go wrong. And as much as I like Seton Hall and even Marquette, it's always weary to when you have to rely on one guy to score 20 to 25 a game because neither team has as many secondary scores that can put up points if need be if one of them has an off game. Uh, as far as sort of lower tier, I think uh, Providence could be due for a rise, as depending on what happens with their younger players. Georgetown, you know, this is going to be a year where uh, Patrick Ewing has some heat on him if he can't get this team to the tournament because he brings back his uh, some of his best players along with a pretty talented seven-foot transfer from NC State. But I still don't know if unless, uh, you know, Villanova can become a top-10 team, if we're going to see any of these – Big East teams become true national players next year? I think if anybody is, I think it's going to be Villanova. As you mentioned, they got the a talented recruiting class coming in now for the second straight year. So they'll have, they'll, they'll be younger guys, but I think enough talent is there for them to at least, I think, make a second weekend run. I don't think they necessarily are in that tier of teams that can win a national championship, but I think this year is pretty wide open or is shaping up to be pretty wide open, I, I think, in that standpoint. Uh, I think a big win for Seton Hall, too, was keeping Kevin Willard. I know he was linked a little bit to that Virginia Tech job once Buzz Williams left, and I think him staying is going to play pay major dividends for Seton Hall this year. Uh, kind of bouncing off, I want to touch on the, the coaching carousel a little bit and some of the new hires that have been, been made since we last spoke, because there's been – a good number of them, pretty much all the action has, has happened since the end of the NCAA tournament. Connor, who do you think may have the most success year one of the new hires? 
I think if you're looking at talent and and you measure success by improvement on the previous season, I think you have, as much as I didn't like the hire, I think you have to go Mick Cronin at UCLA because UCLA's team was a dumpster fire last year, but their roster this year is really good. So I think that immediate success wise, I think Mick Cronin is probably going to put together a team that can at least challenge uh, and get into the NCAA tournament. Um, I think you, you'd have to talk about uh, Nate Oates at Alabama. Uh, he's he's making some pretty moves or being pretty aggressive. Um, and uh, yeah, I, other than that, I actually like what Kyle Smith is doing at Washington State. I don't think he's going to be really successful immediately, but I do like um, what he's starting to do. And I think that Washington State – is going to be a team that's going to, if they're going to be the third tier team to Washington and Gonzaga for the foreseeable future, but I think that they can finally be better than and Eastern Washington, which is something that they've needed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think the Cronin point is interesting because that hire was not met with a lot of approval or, or praise. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be, end up being a good hire for UCLA, but I do think if Cronin has success, I think it is going to be year one, this first year. I think it'll be probably his most successful year that he'll have. A lot of times when we see programs, uh, you see this in other sports too, when they go from one kind of coach, like a player's coach, like UCLA had with, with Steve Alford, and go to kind of a more hard-nosed disciplinarian, teaches different things, has a different focus, like McCronin does defensively. Uh, I think you get kind of – that transition year becomes a mix of you have those guys who uh, have sort of a bit of an offensive free-flowing focus that are now being taught how to play defense at a little at a level they weren't at beforehand mm-hmm. and so I think that can create some good things but uh, as the years kind of go on I don't think Cronin's going to be able to lure that kind of same talent to UCLA which I think is going to be a problem um, and kind of branching off that Michael and I want to kind of hammer home on, on McCronin so I'll ask you Outside of potentially him, who did you think maybe was a not so good hire, or maybe the worst hire uh, that <laughs> a, a program made this offseason? You know, it's funny. Uh, you know, uh, Connor sent me a list and asked me who I thought you know best and worst hires. My worst hire was Mick Cronin. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's a uh, certainly a sentiment felt by several. I, I think it's world. it's he's set up to fail. I mean, Ben Halland came to town. We all saw what he did. And they still ran him out of town because of his style of play and, and how he ran his program. And I think Mick Cronin is kind of right there. So, you know, I just – I don't think that fits. I, I just – I don't know who UCLA could have got that would have appeased that fan base. For me, that's a stay-away job if I'm a college coach. But I thought that that, that match, that particular coaching style – in that market for that, that university, that was a, that was a bad hire for me. Yeah. yeah. I think that UCLA and Indiana have become jobs that the expectations from the fans are so unreasonably high that nobody's going to come in and meet them. And so, yeah, I agree. I don't think that Mick Cronin was a great hire, but I do think that with the talent he's got, if he at least gets them to perform to their expectations, you know, you're going to see that immediate success and it's just going to continue. It's not going to really ramp up. Indiana is an interesting point. Tristan, I'll, I'll talk to you about this. Uh, year three, Archie Miller, 
last year started off really well and then became just an unmitigated disaster down the stretch. He's on the hot seat going into this year. What do you think Indiana has to do for him to save his job? Uh, at, at bare minimum, make the tournament. There's really, uh, I think the problem that he has is that people are going to feel like he wasted Romeo Lang first year. And he, he was sort of their hometown guy. They have another five-star guy coming in. And I think, you know, it's looking very similar to Shaka Smart. You know, you bring in a star player with a lot of fanfare, but their surrounding talent just isn't good enough to compete. And if you look at the Big Ten, you know, you, you have Michigan State and Maryland up there. But after that, it's it's pretty vulnerable from three on. If you can't make the NCAA tournament this year, then at this point, people are going to start saying, you know, this guy has success at Dayton, but he can't cut it at the next level. And I think, you know, Indiana fans have been, honestly, a little more patient with him than I thought he would because he just hasn't had that success. And that program doesn't want to have down years. So he has to make the tournament. I think it'll, it'll, it's, it's going to be a tough grab, but he needs one of these, you know, returning players to really become an all conference player if they're going to have any shot because right now I just I still don't see it yeah and the expectations at Indiana as Connor mentioned are certainly high and in a sense you understand it um and I think too with how last year started for them uh, people were expecting to make the tournament and the, the way the year started I think a lot of people were hopeful that they could potentially make a run um and so I, I think he's in a bad situation. Um, Shock is smart, as you said, certainly in a must-win situation as well. Um, Michael, people have talked about Josh Passner at, at uh-huh. Tech kind of being in that similar situation, as well as a few coaches in the ACC, but Passner is one that kind of stands out. Um, is he another guy who's coaching for his job this year? How does Who essentially, I guess, would you consider on the hot seat in the ACC? Well, uh, you know, as far as Passner goes, this is something I'm going to bring up on my on my on ACCBR when I come back later this week. I just don't know if it was ever a good fit. Um, and you know, Georgia Tech, their athletic administration, they they want to paint themselves as a football school, but you know, it, it, the amount of talent that's in Atlanta, Georgia Tech needs to be able to tap into some of that talent, and Passner hasn't been able to do it. And, you know, Tom Crean shows up and pulls the number one player in the country six minutes after he arrives in Athens. That doesn't really sit well with anybody. Um, as far as other uh, coaches in the ACC, I, I think <laughs> the only thing saving Brad Barnell is that extension that he signed after they made the Sweet 16, which I, I talked about before it happened. Dan Radakovich does not care about college basketball. He's a football guy. He's a, he's a fundraising guy. He's going to do the easiest thing. And he did. He doesn't want to search for a basketball coach. Um, I think Jim Christian, uh, for some reason, got a reprieve last year. I don't know if Boston College could get a better coach if they went on the hunt. So it only made sense for him to stay. And then the only thing holding Danny Manning at, in, in Winston-Salem is, is his guaranteed money. So, you know, right now, over the next few years, it's going to be really interesting in the ACC because I think you're going to have at least three or four guys probably get fired. And then you may have three or four Hall of Famers retire this may become Chris Mack's conference very quickly. Yeah, and that, that Danny Manning contract, oh, there was no reason for that either, and it's, <laughs> it's sort of hamstrung them. Tristan, what, what do you got? You know, I think another name that we might want to think about when it comes to not staying much longer is Jim Beheim of Syracuse. Yeah. 
because they they lost their arguably their three best players to either the draft or graduation. And if you really look at the past few years, we would be calling for his job if they didn't slip into the tournament in controversial fashion two of these last few times. Syracuse just hasn't been anything better than a bubble team, honestly, in the last five years. And thanks to their tournament runs, it sort of, you know, pushed that to the side. But I think there's a good chance that Syracuse could be one of the bottom four or five teams in the ACC if we assume that uh, Pitt and Notre Dame and Miami takes a step up. So I think look at how uh, Orange fans is going to look at Bayheim if Syracuse can't get back to the tournament or at least in true bubble contention. Because right now the roster just doesn't scream NCAA tournament caliber. No, they're going to be bad next year. Yeah. But I don't think Bayheim's going to retire until he hits a thousand wins. So, for the second time, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, yeah, I agree. I think that Syracuse fans are probably going to be upset if they don't make the tournament. But I also think that Syracuse is one of those teams that no matter how good, no matter how bad they are, they're always going to be right there on the bubble. So, and they'll never fire him, right? I mean, they may. Hey, no. Jim, you know, maybe time to maybe time to step aside. Um, yeah. but they'll never fire him. This isn't going to be, a, you know, one of the Indiana Bobby Knight kind of deal, which obviously there was other reasons for that, but it's not going to be dramatic, I don't think. I think he would have retired by now had it not been for Buddy being there. Like, I think once Buddy's done, I think Jim's done as well. Yeah, I think that uh, the, also that incident he had, mm-hmm. um, you know, this past season, who knows how that – I mean, that would shake my mentality. Who, you know, oh, who yeah. knows what that, what that does to you as a 75-, 80-year-old man. So, I mean, you know, maybe time to – to take a step back who knows yeah that's very i think we'll find out i mean it was a it was, that was a, just a terrible situation all around and i think we'll, te- we'll be able to tell uh the first part of this year kind of if Beheim has anything left in the tank or if he's kind of been like just on cruise control now so yeah. to speak um i want to transfer back to the M- nba draft now uh, tristan uh, or michael you touched on Tom Crean doing really well at Georgia with recruiting and that hurting Georgia Tech. Georgia's going to be hurt a little bit by Nick Claxton mm-hmm. um, opting to leave. I really like him from an NBA perspective in terms of uh, his ability to, to shoot the three, rebound, block shots in particular. I think he's somebody who was due for a breakout season in college basketball next year, and it became so obvious that NBA teams saw it and took notice and are now – looking like he's going to be a first-round draft pick. I think he could potentially end up being a steal. Uh, Connor, of maybe not the top-end guys, but some of these guys who were fringe players that ended up staying in the draft, do you think anybody can end up being a steal, whether it's mid-late first-round or even a second-round pick in the NBA draft? I really think Zach Norvell could be a steal. I think that I think he's going to be one of those guys, six, seven, eight off the bench, who can come in and just eat. And that's all they need him to do, really, in the NBA is just hit shots. And he showed at Gonzaga he can hit shots from NBA range. Um, and when he gets hot, he doesn't miss. Um, that said, I think that he's probably going to go mid-second round. And so we'll see if he actually makes a roster next year. But I, I do think that he was one of those players that everyone was criticizing for leaving that I think the best decision for him was to go into the NBA this year, because I also think that without Marcus Howard and some other players in the draft, that the shooting in this NBA draft doesn't seem to be as high as it has been in years past. Yeah, that's true. And I think a lot of it too for Norvell, I'm very high on him as well, will be who he ends up with. 
and whether there's opportunity there. Because if it ends up with a team like the Suns or the Magic, a team that's kind of doesn't have much depth and, and needs shooting and has openings at guard, I think we can see him stick around. But if we see him end up with a team like the Celtics who have 8,000 draft picks in a roster that's already set, or someone like that, uh, he probably won't end up cracking the roster. Maybe get a two-way contract. Um, just like just like everything else in the NBA, a lot of it comes down to fit. But I do like Norvell as well. Tristan, who is somebody that you're kind of keeping an eye on to see where they go as a potential sleeper? Uh, you know, I think uh, Mifundum Kamangeli could really be one of those late-round picks. You know, I'm looking at what Pascal Siakam's doing with Toronto. And Kamangeli is one of the top athletes in this draft. And I think the problem with him this last year was more so that he was surrounded by senior front court players. Mm-hmm. And Leonard Hamilton went with them more than more than Kevin Gelly, but as we saw, even a limited sample size, the guy's just an athlete who can do pretty much anything. And if you give him a whole year to work on just his shot, this is a guy I think that can slowly emerge to being an all-star kind of player because he has all the tools for it. He just didn't really get that chance to show in college because of the roster he was on. Michael, I'll pose the same question to you. Who's your sleeper? Well, uh, Tristan took my first guy. Uh, I, I Cabin Gelly for sure. I, I think, you know, and actually I'm on NBA Draft Net right now. They actually have him projected at 14, so I guess he's not as big of a sleeper as we think he is. But um, I guess the guy that I would probably go with is Chris Wilkes out of UCLA. Um, this kid, he, I mean, he was a stud, an absolute stud in high school. He's six seven, six eight. He can shoot it. He can get to the rim. He didn't. He didn't put a lot of that on display at UCLA, and a lot of people didn't see him play while he was at UCLA because he's the West Coast guy, and who's going to stay up for that? But I, I just think the kid is super talented, and if he gets in the right situation, he can really have an impact at the NBA level. On, on the flip side of that, Michael, who do you think might be a bit overrated, uh, probably at the top of the draft or even just any first-round pick you don't think is worth a selection they'll probably be taken at? Oh, um. If I had to, if I had to put so, I, I, PJ Washington from Kentucky, I think, okay, um, kind of an undersized four. I don't know if he shoots it from outside well enough for today's NBA. He's kind of got that mid-range game that the NBA is getting away from. At six, seven, six, eight, is he going to be able to rebound at that level? He, he's kind of a classic tweener for today's NBA. I'm not really sure where he fits. They actually have him projected to go to the Celtics right now in the late teens, and I'm really hoping that doesn't happen because I'd like to see them go somewhere else with that pick, being a a Northeast guy. But if I had to pick somebody in the first round, I think P.J. Washington might be a guy that I would stay away from, just just not because he's not talented, just his game, and and I think it's more of a college game than today's NBA. Connor, who who would you maybe put some caution flags around? Um, yeah, there, there are a couple that, that I I think might not necessarily deserve being drafted as high as they're projected. Um, one of those is, uh, Matisse Thibel out of Washington, excellent basketball player. It's a player in the country last year, but I don't necessarily think his offense is consistent enough, um, to be justified as a first round pick in the NBA draft, uh, and I think NBA draft net has him going to the Spurs. So, I mean, he is a prototypical Spurs draft pick. Um, I just don't know if he's, he's deserving of a first round pick. The other one, and, and it pains me to say this, I, I'm not so sure that Rui Hachimura deserves top 10 consideration. Um, oh, no. 
because I just don't think he's he's ready to contribute immediately at a high level on both ends of the floor in the NBA. Um, I thought the entire season that Brandon Clark was a much more impactful and much better player. And Rui benefited from the fact that he was was athletic and, and didn't have a, a post-up game. And so he could kind of take wings off the bounce and, and get to the rim. Um, but I, I think if if I were to, I mean, looking at NBA draft net, Hachimura is projected as a t- 10 and uh, Brandon Clark's projected at 23. And, and honestly, I think I'd flip them. I have a, some reservations about Clark just because of his size. He's a wing player's size, basically, uh, with an interior game. He's an excellent shot blocker, and I think he'll have a role with his shot blocking. But the fact that he's that size and doesn't have a perimeter game concerns me a little bit. Do you have any of, uh, of those same concerns with him, or do you think it'll translate no problem? I think it'll translate pretty well. Um, I, I remember tweeting a couple while back, he's like a Tyrannosaurus Rex with the athleticism of a Velociraptor. I mean, he, he is he is small for his position, which would be the four position in the NBA. But he does. I mean, he he was out jumping and outrunning a lot of the wing players. Um, and so, I mean, his athleticism is insane. His his efficiency is excellent. Um, and I think that if you're looking at that that would draft him higher in the draft. I'd be looking at a, a team that that's looking to compete immediately. So probably yeah. maybe that 14 spot for Boston or the, the 15 spot where he can back up at, at Detroit, back up uh, uh, Blake Griffin and play there. So, yeah, he's yeah. a guy for me, another guy who I think fits a big, key for because a lot of lottery picks you you view them as, as somewhat building blocks and i don't think he's necessarily a building block but he can certainly play a factor right away with his shot blocking so i think it's got to be a team um maybe, maybe boston up there um who can use him right away in a role um and, and help them compete i think that's kind of where he's best suited for tristan what about you who is your guy that you're a little little weary about that's going to go high in the draft I would be scared to take Bull Bull personally. I have, you know, the fact is when you're a seven foot one big man who's already missed almost a whole season with injury issues, it just doesn't bode well for me to predict that you're going to have a 12 to 15 year career in the NBA. And he already has size issues when it comes to whether or not he can take a daily beating in the NBA. You know, his ceiling at people would hope for would be Porzingis, but I'm not so sure that he's going to be able to project to that level outside of being a rotational piece. And, you know, Romeo uh, Langford, he's really more of a one-trick pony that's a ball-dominant guard that isn't the best of shooters. And there were things that he did, particularly on a defensive level, that makes you really worried. He clearly can't be the best player on a team, Mm. but I also don't know if he's – capable of being a third or fourth option and maintain that kind of ability without the need to have that ball in his hand. So I think with Langford, it's really going to depend on where he goes in the draft and whether he can get the right kind of development. But I think he's a guy that if he goes to the wrong spot, he could flame out. He's the guy who needs a jumper. Yeah. For sure. I think he gets that. I think that opens up the rest rest of his game. 
but without it, I think he's really limited. Yeah. What do you guys think of Nas Reed? Uh, I'm going to die on this hill. I don't think he's very good. If you know, I'm looking at NBADraft.net, if I can get Nas Reed at 26 or if I can get Chumo Kiki at 38, I'm feeling pretty good about taking out Kiki at 38. I don't know how much I would, I would trust NBADraft.net. Um, Okiki's probably going to Okiki's going to go in the first round. Uh, there's a pretty good, uh, very likely possibility somebody takes him into the first round. Reed's probably more mid late second round, yeah. in my I, mind. Uh, but I, I would have I at that point I love taking Reed with that pick. I know there are some questions. Oh, if I can get a mid second round, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He checked in with by far the most body fat at the NBA Combine. I think I want to say it was up where like 20 percent, something like that, which kind of shows you that. Uh, taking care of his body and getting in shape is a bit of an issue with him. But from a pure game standpoint, having a big man who can handle the ball, pass, shoot like he can, mm. uh, and rebound as well, I think he's a potential second-round steal for somebody, again, depending on where he goes and how dedicated he ends up becoming to the to his game and making his body, I think, a little bit better. I, just, I never saw the jump. I didn't watch a ton of LSU this past year, but – I mean, I kept hearing about, you know, stretch four, stretch five type player. I just never saw that jumper materialize in a game. Um, and, you know, again, at 26, who knows what NBA draft.net knows. But, you know, I wouldn't spend that pick on that particular player. Yeah. That's kind of it for me. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to talk about? Um. <clears throat> I was kind of interested in seeing who returned that was kind of puzzling because I'm going to die in the camp that I'm sure that Killian Tilly should have returned to school. I agree. I thought he had a draft promise. I, I thought somebody had promised to pick him early in the second round, um, at which point I think if you're promised a draft point there, they're going to give you a guaranteed contract. And I don't think he's necessarily going to move up and be a first-round guy next year. Yeah, my issue with him is that right now, the thing that's going to keep him from getting drafted is the questions about his health. Mm-hmm. And he can he can answer those questions in school or he can answer those questions playing overseas. Um, and I don't think that returning is necessarily going to help his draft stock. Uh, so I, I thought for sure that he'd enter the draft, see how it went out. And then if he had to go play overseas to, to show that he could maintain his health, um, and get paid in the process, I thought that would have been the, the, the more likely course of action. So, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I mean, Gonzaga is happy to have him back. I just, I was, I was surprised that that decision was probably the most surprising decision of any um, that the Gonzaga players made during the draft process. I'm not, for you. Yeah. Oh, I'm not really surprised about what happened with Tilly because I think that's just the byproduct of the Gonzaga culture. If you have an opportunity to come back and play for a Final Four contender and top 15 perennial team, you're generally happy being with that program with your teammates. And I think the thing with Tilly, he has the ability, if he can stay healthy and show that he can you know, rebound and even pass at an even better level, he has first-round talent because he, he's really one of the best shooters in the country and a very underrated defender. And I think if, if he wants to come back for a year, he comes from a very uh, well-off family, so it's not like he has to financially go. You know, does he have to go to the second round of the NBA? Or if he has a chance to move up, why not take it? I think there's other guys who don't have that luxury playing for a team that's probably not going to go to the tournament. So why not? So why not? 
take a chance and come back. Worst case scenario is he doesn't improve his draft stock, but still comes back on a top four seat for the NCAA tournament and make a run while being the star instead of third wheel behind Clark and Hachimura. I'm not, I'm not so sure Gonzaga is as good as a lot of people are projecting them to be. I, uh, I don't think that they have a player who is ready to take the reins as a primary point guard. Um, and they've had that for the last seven to eight years. So we'll see. And, and, and I'm not as high on Derek Thornton as a lot of people are. So even if he comes, I don't think that they have a point guard they can rely on. I think Thornton's solid, but he's not going to be a guy who necessarily carries you. Yeah, I think all. if you take them from uh, USC to Gonzaga, I think the jump in development and stability will pay off for a guy like him. I'm not saying that he'll do what Wiltshire did, which is a former five-star player from somewhere else and become a great guy, but all he has to do is just be a solid defender and passer, and that's all really Gonzaga needs. At this point. Mark Few is obviously a better coach than Andy Enfield as well, so he's going to yeah. benefit there. Yeah. <clears throat> My fear, my fear with specifically with Thornton, I mean, he played on a national championship team that went to USC, presumably to get more minutes mm. and couldn't, that he kind of becomes a, 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 one of those players. I mean, and there's been a few that have come through Gonzaga and just, they didn't get it. Um, and they became more of a liability than an asset. So I don't know. I just, I, I would put Gonzaga in that sixth range still. Um, returning, and I see a lot of people who have them in that like eight to 12, and I think that's a little bit too high. Yeah, I want to go back. I was surprised Quentin Grimes one came back to school because I thought he, he, I thought he was gone, and I thought that he had done well enough at the combine to earn at least a second round selection. Um, but I'm also surprised that he opted to come back and transfer. So he's essentially putting the NBA draft off two more years now. Uh, Michael, what did you think about that? Yeah, uh, Grimes was was my answer to this question. Um, I, I think that that decision to transfer may have been driven by the Kansas fan base. I mean, that kid was supposed to be the man when he showed up, and he was he just didn't live up to the expectation. Now, whether or not those expectations are fair is another conversation. But I don't think. I mean. It's a difficult situation for him. I thought he should have stayed. Essentially, we're going to forget about him for a year, and he's going to end up somewhere else, and then we're going to have to get reacclimated with him, and then who knows how he's going to perform in a new system under a new coach after taking a year off. So I, I was actually shocked by Kerry Blackshear Jr. coming back. I don't think there is anything that he can do to improve his stock after the way he finished last season. And if he goes to a place like Kentucky where you know he's not going to be – as much of the focal point as he was in Blacksburg, I just I don't know how he improves his stock. And with you know this current crop of bigs that's in this draft, I mean I'm taking Kerry Blackshear over Nick Claxton or Nas Reed or PJ Washington. I mean I just think he's a better basketball player and he can still shoot at 30, 33 percent from deep. So I just I was kind of I expected him to go. And now I'm kind of wondering what uh, where he's going to fall next year as far as his draft status. Tristan, where do you think Blackshear may go? I think right now the consensus top two options are Kentucky and Florida. Yeah. I would agree that if he goes to Kentucky, he might not raise his stock. But I think, you know, even a bigger example for what Tilly did, Blackshear can come back and literally pick to be on a top five national contender team wherever he decides to go. And if you're him, 
you know, you who knows where your draft stock would be, but if he has a chance to be on a national championship caliber team, that automatically improves your draft stock. So I think if you're the Florida Gators, you would not only have to be happy that Nemhard returned, but happy that Blackshear returned too. And in a and in a way, you should also be happy that Nick Richards and EJ Montgomery came back to uh, Kentucky to help that front court be a big pull. So I think this could be a big win for Florida if Blackshear decides to go there. I think they look like the most viable option right now, considering all the backcourt pieces they have, and that they lost a few frontcourt players as well. Blackshear can come in at the five spot and just really be a dominant player in the SEC. I don't think I don't think Calipari would have any reservations about sitting Nick Richards if he can get Kerry Blackshear. Nick Richards yeah. may never see the light of day again. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys, too, their decisions to come back were essentially based on more playing time. So if Blackshear came and kind of knocked one of them off, I'm sure that would create some uh, interesting dynamics in the locker room there. For sure. Uh, You know, one other thing that I think we should look at in terms of winners, I think Mint Majors really benefited from the draft decisions. Uh, if you look at what happened, Charles Bassey returning to Western Kentucky last minute, Surprising. I think puts, puts yeah. them up there for a top uh, for a top spot. You even look elsewhere. Uh, Cal Baptist retains uh, Milan Akinla, which he wasn't going to get drafted, but after scoring twenty plus points a game, he could have went pro. And just by him returning, the program can now build off of him and move up into whack. And if David's been yes. Uh, if you look at the A-10, Mountain West, WCC, all of them return their best players. You know, BYU gets back Yoli Childs. Gonzaga gets back Killian Tilly. You look at the Mountain West. Uh, New Mexico adds in talent, don't lose anyone. Uh, Namus Kita comes back for U- Utah State. And then you look at Davidson returns her top players. Obi Toplin, I think, is going to be someone that we're going to hear about in the future of Dayton, and then you VCU returns to guys. So I think all in all, mid-majors should be very happy, and I think we're going to see a couple, a few leagues get multiple bids because of what happened at the draft deadline. Yeah, we got, we got Bryce Aiken back at Harvard, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, yeah. Did um did the kid from Yale come back? No. No, no. No, he had, he had kind of said he was going to go, and I don't blame him. I mean, his stock was – um, yeah, I don't yeah. know if he was necessarily going to do anything that would raise it even more. Yeah. Any anybody else have something before? I want to make sure we touch on everything everybody wants to talk about. Um, I'm good. Yeah, I think um, I'm good. But... Maybe we can just bring up uh, R.J. Hampton since he's <laughs> since it's the last one that okay. recently happened. <laughs> okay. Uh, speaking of guys coming back. And, and some of them not coming back. RJ Hampton made an interesting decision to go to New Zealand as opposed to Kansas or Memphis, as some people were hoping, and would have given those teams a boost. What do you guys make of that? Do you think that's um, uh, kind of a, a one-off thing, a good decision for him? Um, or do you think it may become a, a trend that we see some of these top guys use? I don't think it's a trend. Um, I, I think – you're going to get one or two, maybe three guys a year. You know, last year we had Baisley and, you know, his situation hasn't really improved other than the, than the new balance contract that he received. But, you know, as far as Hampton goes, 
we we don't know if it's a good decision for another five or six years. So, I mean, right now, if he wants to go major in basketball and and, and make some money overseas, you know, good on him. You know, if he, I, I don't necessarily know if it's going to help his draft status though, because he's none of us are going to see him play this year. Um, it would be you know similar to Brandon Jennings went away, Moutier went away. We never saw them until draft night. Um, it's difficult to say what it's going to do for his, what it's going to do for his career. I wish him the best. I, you know, if he, if that's a decision he wants to make, I don't know what his financial situation is, but if you're going to go over there and make 500 grand and you can, you don't have a problem with going halfway around the world, then do your thing. Yeah. Well, I think too, the potential for a lack of exposure could get a race to Flamelo ball joins him because uh, if Flamelo ball joins him over there, which is a possibility, then that suddenly becomes essentially an extension of a reality show that ESPN is going to be all over. And there's going to be uh, more eyeballs there than there would be normally. Uh, so I think it would essentially be the same thing as going to a mid-major or something, just in terms from a exposure standpoint. That would Connor, be intriguing. You, yeah. Uh, Connor, what do you think about his decision and, and if it says anything about college basketball prospects at large? I, I I don't really have an issue with this decision, and I don't really think it says anything about college basketball projects at, uh, prospects at large. Um, look, some people want to play college basketball. Some people want to play professional basketball. Uh, the NBL isn't a terrible basketball league by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and, you know, it, it it's an opportunity for him to make some money and play some basketball. And look, NBA teams are going to scout this guy while he's playing in the NBL. So just because the fans aren't going to watch him doesn't mean that he's going to have a lack of, of exposure on that front. I think where it's going to hurt him the most is probably going to be in terms of tips. Um, you know, big shoe companies might not look at him. In terms of development, I don't really think it's going to help or hurt him. Um, I, I think how much effort he puts in and how much work he puts in. I mean, look at Mitchell Robinson, who sat out a year and it became a a solid contributor to the New York Knicks. Granted, it's the New York Knicks. So, um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he was one of the, the better shop blockers in the, the NBA and, and could be a solid piece for the New York Knicks as they continue to build. So I think the one spot where people have the most right to is the reports that he knew that he was going and continued to go on official visits which to me is the best decision for him. Um, it gave him exposure. Where is RJ Hampton going to go? Um, and he was essentially one of, if not the last major recruit to commit. Um, and so all eyes were on him at that point when he decided to announce that he was going to play in the NBL. That said, it is kind of, um, for lack of a better term, screwing the the teams that were recruiting him because they put effort they put time they put other recruits that they could have been recruiting on the back burner to try and get him to go there and he knew for a fact he wasn't so yeah and trisha we'll wrap we'll wrap up with you what did you make of that decision for him to essentially have that decision made a month plus in advance to him actually announcing it and kind of leading all of these other teams on for that time period yeah, I, I wouldn't say he screwed the teams per se, but it was more the coaching staff. And I, while I personally would never go that route, you know, a lot of people for a month because I wouldn't want that karma on to me. 
we also have to look at the fact that what would happen if he went to Kansas? What would what did Bill Self talk to Quentin Grimes and Devon Dawson about when it comes to their role on the team? He effectively would have to lie to them about, hey, you're going to be the ball handler on the team, when in fact one of them would be screwed. And if he went to Memphis, what would happen to Boogie Ellis? I'm sure Boogie Ellis came there on the premise that he would be the lead ball handler for that team. R.J. Hampton comes in, that doesn't work. So I think in terms of, you know, whether or not they're lied to, players get lied to all the time by coaches. And I mean, if you look at what's happening, we look at Arkansas right now, Eric Musselman brought in three transfers in the last two weeks. They're three, they have three scholarships over, which means we're about to hear three guys get cut in June. So, I mean, it, it works both ways. I don't necessarily care one way or the other about it because it's truly a business, you know. Absolutely, 100%. If Hampton wants to go about it that way, that's fine. If the coaches want to go about it that way to recruit some prospects, that's fine too. There's winners and losers. I will say, though, Duke really won this one because they were the perceived favorite for him. They end up getting Cassius Stanley. They end up bringing back Trey Jones, and they end up being out of process when, in fact, there really was never a process to begin with to bring them to college. So a win for Coach K without even actually doing anything. That's a good part. Yeah, I'm not going to feel bad for Kansas or Memphis, for that matter. I mean, I with, you know, with Memphis's current recruiting class, okay, you're you're good. And with Kansas, with all the cheating that you're getting away with, with Silvio D'Souza about to play for you, yeah, I, I don't care what hurts your your program at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think both uh, both Kansas and Memphis are in pretty good positions going into next year. I don't think it's necessarily a backbreaker for both of that for either of them. And and good for Texas Tech, too, because they were never really in the run into land them. They got pretty much a free month of publicity just by being listed among the finalists. So that's a nice little little PR for them. And they'll they'll be fine, too, because they got uh, Jasmine Ramsey and uh, Davide Moretti coming back anyway. So Kyler Edwards, I mean, they're good. Yeah, I, I don't think no one ends up, you know, depressed over this situation, you know. Whether he did a month ago or now, hey, life moves on. I agree. All right, guys, that'll do it for this episode of the Busting Brackets podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back next month with another look more in depth at the NBA draft, some of the results that come from that, uh, and look ahead again uh, to next season. We'll talk more about some sleeper teams, teams to watch out for, and players to watch out for. So make sure you join us for that. Uh, For Connor, Michael, and Tristan, I'm Brian Ralph. See you guys next time.